I'll just introduce myself. Um, my name is Florence Mwindi, and I am a physician. My specialty is in public health, and I serve in Africa with an organization known as Life in Abundance International. I serve as the president of that organization. We have work in seven countries in Africa, um, beginning from Egypt, Sudan, Somalia, Eritrea, Djibouti, all the way to Kenya. And my responsibility is coordinating the implementation of the program. Um, our main program is in partnership with churches, and we serve the poor to facilitate holistic development. I'm married uh, with two boys, 21 and uh, 16. And I'm honored to present this, this topic to you today. The person who was supposed to be presenting it is a colleague of mine, and she was not able to come, so I'm stepping into her shoes with your permission. Can we open in prayer? Father, we are just reminded this morning of your, of your greatness. We are gathered here from many different places, involved in many works that you have given us to be responsible over and that you have chosen to assemble us together. And what a great conference, what a great gift this is to us. We thank you for the refreshment that you have brought to us. And may we go back to our places and refresh others just as you have refreshed us. We pray as we enter into this session that your fellowship will be ours, that we will connect with you where you want us to connect, and that we will be sharpened to even deliver better that which you have entrusted to us. <coughs> Lord, we pray as we look into this topic about participatory development and community development, that, Father, you will, you will give us your insights and you will stir us to wherever area you want us to go. We invite your presence and we pray your grace and your favor be sufficient for us. May this be worshipped to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You just follow me. All right, um, like I said, the session title is Participatory Approaches in uh, Community Development, and uh, the session description is there are various strategies for engaging local communities in the development of their communities, and some of these strategies are effective, while others may just be good ideas. And uh, this session will draw upon experiences of working with nationals and international situations. And we are going to be talking about the participatory approach to long-term community development. Um, the session category is in holistic community development. So I'm looking at both the physical and the spiritual integrated together in that holistic development. Uh, community development is a term that is 
that is very close to my heart. Um, if anything, it's what has consumed me and led me to be involved with the poor, to see that their communities are developed and that their life is impacted uh, in both the physical and the spiritual. That's, that's my passion. And I believe it's a response to alleviate suffering and addresses basic needs that affect the poor, and especially in developing countries. Uh, community development helps to see a target people group, um, community with shared values. Uh, challenges are shared in that community. The resources are shared as well. And it's planning and directing the situation they are in to the next level in that shared atmosphere. That is community development because it's embracing all the aspects of that shared people group uh, resources to take it to the next level. And development has been defined as a process of, it's up there, right? A process of directed, determined, or controlled change leading to some form of economic growth, uh, we would say political autonomy, and social reconstruction. Uh, the processes that precede and accompany this change, the social transformation, are just as important as the eventual outcome of development. And we are talking about strategies of reconstruction that accomplish that development. And in this case, community development. So just keeping in mind it's a people with shared values, with shared challenges, um, with shared resources. Some aspects we can add to that definition which are, are very key to community development are, one, meeting felt basic needs like food, Come on in. <laughs> okay, for the people that have just come in, let me just mention again, uh, my name is Florence Mwindi, and I am stepping in for my colleague who was supposed to be presenting this topic, and we are talking about um, participatory approaches to community development. Uh, we've just gone through the definition of um, development, and I'm just talking about other aspects that are important to that community development. So I mentioned it's meeting felt basic needs, and in this I'm thinking of food, clothing, shelter, and other needs that are very basic um, at a community that is seeking development. And then developing a healthy self-esteem for all the people involved. And we're talking from stakeholders, to the beneficiaries, that they may have a healthy self-esteem, to feel respected, to feel they have been involved in a way that empowers them. And then uh, the other key aspect is sustained change, that the development will not just be for a given period, but that change will be sustained. I refer to this as people-centered development. If we were not thinking of the people, we could just go do the program, finish, and say we are well done. Uh, but when we begin to think about what is their felt needs, um, 
what are we developing? Are we careful about their self-esteem? Are we being respectful? Is the change going to be sustained? Then it changes from just community development to people-centered development. And people-centered development is a process that includes all aspects of life within a community and the interpersonal relationships are taken care of. Really, a well-being of the person that is well-rounded, and that's the holistic approach. So we're talking about the physical, the spiritual, the relationships. It begins to get complicated when you go to that next level. Uh, in planning out this development process uh, so that we can direct it to that desired outcome where all these things are taken care of, uh, there are several areas that need to be considered. And the first one is the people's condition. Asking ourselves in that aspect questions like, what are they capable of? What is their capacity? What capacity are we working with? What things are they deprived of? What should they be entitled to? And what makes them vulnerable? Um, the people's condition. The other important aspect to consider in planning out that community development is what is the accountability system in place? And this is in reference to who is going to implement it? Who is going to facilitate? What is the organization that is taking charge of the community development? So they ask themselves, what is the accountability system in place? Is it through the church? Is it through the government? How can we do this with an accountability in place? The other important element is empowerment. What do we want to do in reference to empowerment? Do we want to begin by training? Do we want to begin by putting systems in place? Or are we just coming and directly implementing the program? The other aspect is about ownership and stakeholders. Who are we targeting in the community? Um, who are the beneficiaries? Who are the stakeholders? Who is interested in this community development? Transparency becomes important because the level of transparency will determine the level of participation. The more transparent we are, the more people feel free and have a trust that they can participate in this program without hidden agendas by the implementer. The other aspect is participation and partnerships. At what level do we want to engage the community? Do we want it to be all the way that they are actually making the decisions and owning the community development? Or do we want to bring them in as just collaborators? So from the beginning, as we plan out this, we need to determine those aspects. And then at the desired process for the development implementation. Um, is it going to be implemented by the people for themselves, or is it going to be implemented by the organization and bringing the people to collaborate? So those are key things that need to be determined as we go in to implement community development, because it will determine how we design the whole program. The third aspect is about the domain and dimensions. And in this, I'm looking at things like the civil society, the environment we are working in, um, 
issues like governance at the market, what is competing with the program that we are implementing? If we are implementing something like like orphans and vulnerable children that is church-based, and in there there is another different um, child sponsorship that is not church-based, that is vertical, that becomes a competing program. So it's looking at what is in the market, what do we need to be prepared uh, to compete with as we implement community development. That's all part of the survey. And then the last part is about values. What values do we want to uphold? Uh, is there a democracy? Is there a diversity that needs to be upheld? Um, is there equity that needs to be considered as we design this? What about the gender issues? Is there a caste uh, problem that although we would like the women to participate, they are not allowed to participate because of the barriers that exist in the community? Um, and then the human rights. Uh, where is this community as far as human rights is concerned? And then issues of sustainability. If we do, if we do it this way, will sustainability be accomplished? So planning from the beginning, what is going to be the sustainability issues that we need to tackle? That's all in the planning, uh, even before we begin to engage the community. It's good to be reminded that the unchanging challenge of development is to provide a better life and keeping that in perspective. If this development we are implementing is not going to provide a better life for these people, then we've lost it from the beginning. So it reminds us then that development is centered on human well-being. It's the well-being of the people that we are focused on. I'm calling this as increased humanness. Uh, again, people-centered development. So that as we begin to design, as we begin to implement and call it community development, we are mindful that our program is human. And uh, it, it's increasing in that humanness. Uh, in that, I'm looking at aspects like social justice. Um, are we mindful of that? Are we taking care of that in the design? And then comprehensive consultation and joint decision-making so that from the very beginning, that ownership is promoted. And the decisions that we would make for them that would be wrong are taken care of at that stage because there is comprehensive consultation there's joint decision-making. Then there's alleviation of all forms of suffering and focusing on that the basic needs will be satisfied. And that satisfaction has to come from the people. Uh, it's them to know this is what will satisfy us, this, is won't, this won't satisfy us. Then there's respect for the local ecosystem as well as the local social and cultural patterns. Um, lastly, it's advancement of people through their own endeavors. That's the freedom of expression and impression. This is just to say the implementation process will need to adjust to people's own definitions of what humanness is, 
what human well-being is, what their well-being is, is to themselves, not to us. A successful strategy will focus on the aspirations and the needs of the people as defined by the people themselves. And it means that people should participate in shaping their own community development in the first place. <coughs> so what is participation? Participation is involving people in planning and implementing development. Um, especially just emphasizing the planning, because sometimes we do the planning and we are you know, engaging people thinking they are participating, but we've already planned for them. So they need to be involved in the planning. And it describes an active involvement of people with the purpose of influencing or having a say in decisions that affect their lives. So in the broadest sense, people's participation is a process in which the excluded are sought to become involved. That is giving them a voice and to generally gain access to the benefits of economic and social development. Um, seeking the excluded. This becomes scary to many people, and I think that's why participation becomes difficult, uh, because it means we cannot decide for them. It slows us down to give them time to make decisions, and then it completely changes what we would want to do, because it's not about us anymore. It's, it's including them. And that becomes scary, because really it's transferring the power to the excluded. Uh, to the people whose development we are concerned about. It means the developer, at the end of the day, shares his authority in a way becoming subject to the very people that the developer is, choosing, is seeking to develop. So participatory strategies or participatory approaches in community development are those approaches that include the excluded to participate in their own change process. And it provides the conditions in which people can take active role in the development process. Is it making sense? Okay, great. So interpretation of participation. How can we interpret participation? In practice, people's participation varies. Um, it can be very low or it can be to the very end very high. And this range can come from just passive or a consultative level to a broad and active involvement of the people from the planning stage to the final implementation stage. And I'm going to do four, about four levels of participation that we can term as an approach that um, we can employ in community development. The first one I'm referring to as participation as collaboration. And in definition, this can be seen as 
voluntary or with some sort of persuasion or incentive where people collaborate with an externally determined community development project. Um, the key word there is there's an incentive or a persuasion, so they need to see that, and it's determined externally. Um, so it already misses out the planning stage. And usually people contribute their labor or other local resources in return to up the perceived benefit that they will get from this program. An example would be like a Christian organization that comes in and they want to establish a clinic, say, for example, in Sudan. And they approach the local authorities in a city like Juba. The city authority gives them land that they can use to construct the clinic. They involve the people. They involve the city authority. Um, they may even pay them for services of digging up, building, um, buying materials from them and may even employ them in delivering the services of the clinic. But the people have not really participated. They didn't determine what kind of clinic, what kind of personnel, or even where the clinic is going to be placed. We can say people's participation is sponsored now by the external agency that has come to establish that clinic. And the government and other, the other stakeholders are really just collaborating to make sure that the clinic is in place and it's going to be serving them. They see the benefit as the clinic being there and their diseases being treated. That's community development in a way, but there's just a collaboration level there. At this um, collaboration approach, um, the participation of the people is sort of brought in as an input to make the program successful. And it determines the success of the program. Because if they don't come in, if they don't pay for services, if they don't um, come to the clinic to be seen, then the clinic will remain a failure. So there's a collaborative effort there. In this approach, people rarely have a direct involvement in program design, in control, or management of the program. They'll never know where the drugs came from or even what they cost. And this approach is the most common example of the way community development is done. There's no ownership, and the development can be terminated and lifted out of the community, taken to another place, and the people will not have a say, they will not demonstrate, because it was not theirs in the first place. So it's got that paternalistic approach. Um, it doesn't take care of the self-esteem. It doesn't bring about respect. It's, it's almost like the people are being done a favor in the first place. Uh, the external agency takes full control of the community, and, um, and the community is subject to them. Uh, it goes without saying that this kind of approach will not have a transformation outcome, uh, because it never took care of 
what are the cultural values, what are the basic needs, um, what are all those things that we talked about in the beginning. So the people will have a detached relationship with this kind of program. It does not empower, and uh, the desire really is not to change the community. The desire is to provide the service uh, in a removed way. If you see it the way I see it, it's almost self-serving. Um, and it's dependent on itself. It's almost like a boss and the community members are subjects. And that's collaboration. And that's the common approach when we talk about participation. So we are that far from really coming to what participation should be. The second one is participation can be seen as a project benefit. And this is when community development is implemented, targeting previously excluded people or groups such as the urban poor or women by directing benefits to them. And then these groups are commonly known as beneficiaries. It is defined as an active process where the beneficiaries influence the direction and execution of the community development project rather than in the collaboration stage, just rarely, merely receiving a share of the project's benefits. So they do participate at, at a deeper level than collaboration. However, to what extent they can influence or even direct what is happening is debatable. Um, they are beneficiaries, right? The program has been planned for them. It's targeting them, but they may not influence or even direct the execution of the project. It also depends on what really the community development is. For example, if it's education, they participate, and there's a change that happens. If it's a training program, they participate, and they are given skills. So there's a change that happens. But if the program is the provision of a service that does not change the internal you know, setup, then transformation does not occur. So they relate to the program as beneficiaries, and that's a relationship there. <laughs> Again, we talk about stakeholders, and the term stakeholder has, has emerged from this kind of relationship where you have beneficiaries and a program implementer, and then you have stakeholders. And the stakeholders really is a notion of people who are participating in the program with an interest. So they become stakeholders. It could be the government, it could be people who are providing the services, or it could be partners in one way or the other. But they are stakeholders to the program. So again, that minimizes the role of the beneficiaries because they have these stakeholders to reason with before they can even get the benefit that the program is providing for them. An example would be um, a slum, say a slum in Ethiopia, the Makado slum 
we have implemented a project in this, in this slum, so I just want to use that as an example. Um, it was a three-year program. Our aim was to have 50 street children and 150 vulnerable children from families that we had a relationship with um, be rehabilitated and the vulnerable ones be provided with a source of sustenance um, that they do not end up on the streets. The church was a stakeholder in this. Uh, we trained them, we empowered them to become the managers of the program. Then the government, we needed to have permission to even begin to work with the street children, so we had to present our proposal to the government. They went through it, uh, they ratified it, and allowed us to implement this, so they became stakeholders. Then the community steering committee was another stakeholder. Um, they needed to, to know what children are we choosing, what families, and how are we choosing those families, who are our beneficiaries. So they began to determine who is going to benefit in the first place from this program that's being implemented. And um, within three years, we were wanting to phase out, so we are continually empowering the church to be the one to continue taking care of these street children and the vulnerable children that we were working with. Um, <coughs> it becomes complex then. Is a community development that's being owned by these children? Are they making the decisions? Or is it really the stakeholders who've taken over? Um, that's a relationship there. So we went through a process where we were empowering the church, sharing the vision, and helping them to realize they are the custodians of this development work. And it was signing the collaborative document with the government and in there enlisting the church as the key stakeholder, that they will be the ones responsible of the program. Uh, in setting up the steering committee, we needed to have people who come from the church so that they can be spokespersons uh, to the process, to the vision that we have entrusted to them. In identifying the children, again, it was empowering the church to be at the forefront of the steering committee and having a voice uh, for the people that we want to target. And in working out the rehabilitation, we needed to base it from the church um, so that all the time the church is being seen as the one that's implementing the program. Um, there was health education, there were tutorials targeting the people that we need to, to bring transformation to. And at the end of that, we were able to face out the stakeholders were, were there to make sure we have phased out properly and hold us accountable, um, but keeping in mind that it's the, the people's well-being, increasing that humanness in what we are doing so that at the end of it, they will have collaborated, they will have been part of this, they will have participated, and ownership would have happened. I wish it was easier, but community development with all the stakeholders becomes very difficult, and the implementer has to be very intentional at each stage to make sure that participation is safeguarded and is not just the terms of beneficiary stakeholders because they can easily take over. Um, the third aspect, the third type of um, participation is participation as organization. 
and the participation in community development by organizations or groups is foundational to the process of people's participation. What is important here is the nature, the origin, and the evolution of the organization. And the organization can be induced or it can be endogenous. Induced really means it's externally conceived and it's introduced into the community. In the design stage, the program could be thinking of farmers' cooperatives or associations that need to be there, or it could be other organizations that are really external, externally planned and being introduced into the community. With endogenous, the organization emerges from within and takes structure as a result of the process of participation and implementation of the work. I'm thinking here of like a micro-enterprise group coming together because we are implementing a micro-loan program. So that's emerging because of the implementation. I'm thinking of a support group that's coming together because we are implementing uh, work with people living with AIDS. And that becomes an endogenous organization. The last kind of participation is participation as empowerment. And empowerment is a process by which previously excluded people gain increased access and even control over their resources of development. Um, I just singled out resources because that becomes the, the biggest measure. Uh, who is controlling the resources? That's the power there. Um, so empowerment is giving them that control of resources. And then we can say we have empowered. Empowerment accommodates freedom of opinions and tolerance for people's organizations as we find them. So working with the natural setups within that community. It can also be seen as a development of skills and abilities to enable people to actually begin to manage the program. They begin to have a say because they are confident and they even negotiate um, the existing development delivery system. So if we are entering into a community and the aim is participation and empowerment, by the time we face out, the people will be at a point that they are challenging the delivery system that we came in with. And then we can say we've empowered. They begin to ask questions. Why did you plan it this way? How about we do it this way? Then they have been empowered. We've involved, involved them in the participation that they're making decisions for themselves and challenging the decisions that had been made previously. It can also be seen as enabling people to decide and take the actions which they believe are essential to their own development. And that's participation as empowerment. Um, and this is the level, the best level that we can come to as far as participatory approaches are concerned in community development. Um, 
An example that I could give in this case would be um, some of the development approaches that we've had is going into a community, uh, realizing development is needed, um, going through that uh, in prayer walks, um, thinking together with God as to what is your agenda for this community. Uh, what would you like to, to do that will facilitate your kingdom in this community? So in the first place, relinquishing our interest to the agenda of God and beginning that design with the one who has made the people. And after a time of prayer walking and listening to God, coming up with, this is God's agenda. Um, he would like to see the people with AIDS in this community addressed in a way that respects them, gives them a voice, and enables them to have life in abundance. And then stepping back and saying, who can we partner with for this? Who is God calling to this task? The next stage is usually inviting all the churches that are in the area to share that vision, that God-given vision with them, and telling them, this is what we feel God wants the church to do. The church is to take an active role in this community to bring about a community development that glorifies God. What can you do as churches? And challenging them to go and choose a people who we can work with to empower and are committed to that development process. And as we move to the next stage, really the churches that end up participating are those churches that show that commitment of choosing people who we can empower. And we begin to engage the people, uh, training them. What is, what is a program design? Um, what things can lead to sustenance? What things lead to dependency? How can we avoid that in the project design? And then we work out the project design together. As we begin to implement, the people who were chosen by the churches are the ones who are trained and empowered with that responsibility. And the churches that don't come up with people they have chosen, then that commitment is not there and they are left out. And we move forward to accomplish God's agenda. Um, as we come to the end, it's interesting to see the community, the churches, actually forget we, we had the idea in the first place. Because they've owned it totally, um, they feel they've planned it out, they've used their resources, it's their people who've been involved. And what we did was just support them. And that leads to a sustained change in the community. That's empowerment. So why is participation important? Um, it utilizes local resources and especially people. Um, we have felt over and over again that people are the biggest resource in their own development. It builds self-esteem. It establishes accountability. It avoids dependency. It promotes ownership. It brings about that empowerment that we are desiring. The transformation becomes an internalized change. And best of all, the sustainability that we can come back years later and find where we implemented something, it's gone to the next level, and it's still having sustained impact 
on the lives of the people that live in that community. That is participatory approaches in community development. I invite questions and contributions towards this. On, on that uh, prayer walking, what, what's, a, what's a good amount of time that uh, you would suggest that we, we prayer walk and just really just see God's face on you know, the, the vision that he has for that specific community? Um, we've done it for three days. We've done it for years. Um, it just depends on what is the community and what, is, what God is saying. Um, an example would be Egypt. Uh, when we went to Egypt the first time, we were aiming at partnering with churches for community development. And, uh, and God just wouldn't let us the first week. Uh, we just, all we did was actually stay in the hotel and pray. And the second time, we, we had some times of going around and really breaking the stronghold. So it just depends on what strongholds you are coming against. And uh, it wasn't until the second year that we began to have breakthroughs, uh, even to begin to share the vision with churches. And so it, it depends. Yeah, but we've also gone to communities um, like Somalia, surprisingly, uh, and just Immediately, by the second day, the churches are ready to engage. So it's just sensing what is God saying, what strongholds are in place that need to be reckoned with before we can do uh, community development that empowers. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. You had your hand up. Yeah. yeah from, from your personal experience, can you share your most uh, satisfying experience with community development and also your most frustrating experience? The most satisfying is when the church owns the process, uh, when they begin to, to be the custodian of the development and when it's no longer us, they're not waiting for us, they've moved on as a church and it's not just the physical activities, um, the activities that benefit the outside person, but they are dealing with the spiritual. Uh, when you find them witnessing, when you find them providing the care and support, praying with people, embracing them, going beyond just the physical activity. And that's, that's the most satisfying. When, when that development becomes eternal. There are many. <laughs> but uh, I'll just give this one. Um, going into a community that was very, very deprived, a leper community, and um, empowering the church to take charge of the lepers and provide some micro-loans for them uh, so they can be off the streets from begging and engage in ways that generate income. Um, and the church feeling afraid that they don't want to be associated with lepers. Um, it's a stigma, and it's, you know, they belong to the streets. Just let them. It's overwhelming. And as we began to engaged by the second year, they were becoming more comfortable. They were inviting them to church. I think the breakthrough was when we told them to bring um, clothes on a Sunday, iron clothes, clean clothes, and after the church service, go to the leper colony and visit leper homes and dress the women, pray with them, uh, encourage them, and eat with them. And they began to see them as their own. And from then on, it wasn't just about the microloans. 
or what else can be done to develop the, lever, the lepers, but that they may know Christ and that they may share in, in the praise and the worship in the church. And that to me was, was a breakthrough that we'll come back and the lepers will never have gone back to where they were before. Um, the most frustrating, I think, for me is when, when the government puts in barriers that you cannot work with the church and you cannot empower the church and they're insisting the stakeholders are the people you need to work with because then you never reach the beneficiaries for that uh, transformation. Uh, this happens commonly in Ethiopia where there's a lot of bureaucracy uh, to break through and then it becomes impossible to <coughs> implement empowerment. Thank you. Yes, please. Um, initially, we just want to hear God um, for ourselves and to sort of see the end at the beginning um, because some churches may have their own agendas. And it's not just about the church, but really um, the excluded. Uh, we want to, to bring them a vision that they can reach out to the community. Uh, so initially, we want to, to hear for ourselves so that by the time we go to the church, um, if there's a different voice, then, you know, we can, we can discern that. But we do eventually get to do the prayer walks with them. In fact, they begin to own the prayer strategy, but not at the beginning. Yes, please. Um, this on average, uh, regardless of geographic location, what would you say the average amount of time would be per project? Three years. Three years. Okay. Yeah, we give it three years. And we, we believe um, we can empower, uh, we can pass on the vision, we can pass on the skills, and the community can take on the program within three years. And that keeps us in check, that if it's something we're introducing that cannot be passed on within three years, then it's probably not a good idea. It's too technical for the community we're working with. Yeah. Yes, please. Uh, did you say that the church picks the individuals that you Yes, because they need to be respected by the church and they need to be people um, who are willing to work as volunteers. How do you impart your vision to those individuals to make sure that you know, they stay with the program as opposed to their energy? Once they've been chosen by the church, we go through a training for 10 days. And, and that's a compulsory training before we implement the program. It's a training of trainers and... Um, we, we have a set curriculum where it's really they themselves finding out who they are in Christ and how they can be facilitators of development and change, um, then coming to what is development, what things need to be avoided, what things lead to dependency, what's a prayer strategy, and what do we want to see in these people. And then finishing up with working out the plan, really, designing the program with them uh, so that they own it and take it back to the church. So, and, and then we, our implementation continues to be through this group. Uh, so it's discipleship for those three years. Yeah. Yeah, part of the plan is to avoid, uh, to approach the government uh, because then we are registered in the countries as, and we need to be accountable to the government. 
So we, we need to, to approach them to give us that cover and that permission to work in the communities. And even to hold us accountable that what we've said we will do and we will not go outside the policies of implementation. Yeah. Um, just the last question and then we'll close. Empowerment sounds like it's a great strategy to try to overcome some of the common problems with community development, such as disaffiliation, disengagement of the community, uh, as well as um, paternalism. But at the same time, it, it kind of assumes that the community has the ability to change itself and, and is able to recognize the problems. Um, but that seems to beg the question, then, what, what importance is there in any outside influence? Why do we need to be involved at all? Why don't we just let the community do what it does and change itself? So why even be there? Why even be there? Um, I believe we are called and sent to make disciples of the nations. So we do need to go. Uh, we are needed in those communities. How we make those disciples is, is a determining factor. Um, being there and just sharing them, with them that there can be a better way of life and sharing that vision with them and enabling them to wake up. Um, it's seeing ourselves really as facilitators of the change other than the owners of the change or dictating the change. Um, there's a lot of resource, there's a lot of knowledge, there's a lot of capacity that's just lying in waiting. Um, so w our assumption is right. They have the capacity. And it surprised us because they're made in the image of God. They have God's wisdom in them. Sometimes they educate us. Uh, so the assumption is right. They are capable. We just need to facilitate um, the sleeping giant to wake up and take ownership. And the church, what a resource. They have the church there, so it's really stirring the church and waking up the church to take responsibility of that community development because then that's true love, facilitating the gospel. <coughs> yeah? Can I add something for Sure. Um, in Sudan, they've never even seen development, so they don't even know what it looks like. So they might have the potential, but they don't even know how to do it. So when LA comes in, they say, this is how you do it. Amen. You know, at that point, can you just close in prayer? <laughs> Kindly? <laughs> Thanks. Father, we thank you for LIA and what they're doing in the world and in Africa. And I just pray that we would take ownership of being what you've given us. And that's the ability to facilitate community development. And we just ask that you would work through that to make disciples. And we know that's the end goal. Amen. Thank you all so much. And bless you. Thank you.